Emily Marashin is a registered dietitian, nutritionist, and certified intuitive eating counselor who practices a weight-inclusive nutrition approach following the health at every size principles. Emily's passion for both nutrition and running began during her years as an Army intelligence officer, leading her to pursue a second career in nutrition after leaving the service. But years of trying to conform to strict military, dietitian, and runner identities led Emily to adopt a very disordered relationship with food and body, one that Emily has worked hard to overcome come since discovering intuitive eating. She now helps runners to stop compulsively overeating and to hit their running goals by helping them to shift their mindset away from restrictive dieting behaviors and learn how to eat intuitively. Emily lives in sunny San Diego, California with her husband and three-year-old son and is due with another baby boy this October. Awesome bio, Emily. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So let's just dive right in. You know, you're working on this private practice. Have you always had this dream to have a private practice and what ultimately led you to take action on that? Well, I think in the back of my mind, I always had this idea that someday that's where I wanted to end up. So I'm a newer dietitian dietitian for a little over a year now. So coming out of my internship, what I thought I needed was to find a job working for someone else and continue to learn and build upon my skills. And I figured, you know, the only way I could do this was working for someone else. There's no way I could, there's no way I could have my own private practice right off the bat. That's just ridiculous, you know? So I finished my internship last summer and got my RD and I um, started applying for jobs. And I live in a very dietitian saturated area. So trying to get a job as a dietitian, especially a dietitian without a master's degree, it was very challenging. And I ended up applying for probably over 60 jobs and ended up getting some contract work. But it just got to the point where I decided enough is enough. You know, why am I bending over backwards trying to work for someone else when, you know, I'm busy. I'm a mom. I have a lot going on in my life and I, why not work for myself? Yeah. Do you feel like working for yourself opened up more time to spend with your family or how did that kind of affect that side of life, especially, you know, being a mom of a young child and having another little one on the way? (laughs) Yeah. I I honestly, if I would have gotten a full-time job and, you know, I don't know how I would have made it through this pregnancy because it's been a rough pregnancy, first of all, Um, not as easy as my first. And I don't know how I would have made it through COVID because my, I kept my, my son home with me for a couple months. It just, the flexibility to do this kind of thing and react to these types of situations has, I don't know how I would have held down a job, honestly. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's awesome that you decided to just go ahead and get started after trying so long to find a job in in San Diego. So let's talk about, you know, since getting started and deciding to take this leap, can you talk about where you started out versus where you are now? Yeah. So I actually kind of started working on my private practice last fall while I was applying for jobs. But it wasn't something that I was really serious about. It's kind of like this, oh, I can have this as a backup plan type of thing. And of course, you know, the first thing that I thought is I need a website. So knowing absolutely nothing about building a website, I just went ahead and I got a domain and taught myself how to 
you know, build on WordPress and got my website up and running. I didn't really have a clear sense of direction other than I wanted it to be an intuitive eating space. And I really did nothing with it. <laughs> it was around, you know, last winter I started doing some contract work. So everything I had done towards that private practice, I just, I stopped doing, I stopped working on. So once I finished up the, with the contract work this past February, I knew I was pregnant, wasn't feeling great. COVID was just starting at that point. And I started tinkering around with the idea of private practice again. So I looked into getting my LLC at that point, And I had bought the domain Respectful Nutrition. That was going to be the name of my business. And wouldn't you know it, I, I kid you not, one week before I had gotten on the state of California's website to start my LLC process, someone took that name. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> someone in California registered oh, an LLC gosh. with Respectful Nutrition. So I was back at square one with a business name and started entertaining the idea of working with runners at that point. So the... Um, idea for a new business name, Off-Road Nutrition, popped into my head. And I was like, oh, that's very fitting. And that could easily allow me to work with runners. It kind of has that sound to it. So yeah, I, I started my LLC back in March with Off-Road Nutrition, had to change everything around, changed my website and my domain. And you now it's funny, I, I did all this work, but I have no following, no clients, no, <laughs> no one to send to my website. So that website that I've created is basically, you know, it really hasn't gotten used. <laughs> yeah. Isn't it funny? We always think we have to have all of these different processes in place before we even have marketing or clients or anything. So it is funny to reflect back on that and see, wow, I didn't even need to make a website. I had other tools available to me for free, a little less of a head well, <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> got the website that I've still to this day have rarely used, rarely touched. I started a Facebook page and started an Instagram page and a Twitter and really didn't know what to do with any of that. <laughs> mm -hmm. So now where I am, I'm focusing my marketing primarily on Instagram and let me tell you, it is just so much easier to focus on one platform instead of spreading myself thin and trying to worry about this and that and this and that. And <laughs> yeah, so now I'm, I'm just focusing on getting my clients on Instagram and I'm not really using any of that other stuff. Yeah, that's awesome. And that's such a good point. It's so easy to focus on one thing. When we commit to too much, it's overwhelming. We don't even know where to start. And how can you master something if you're also trying to master seven other platforms? So absolutely, I agree with you there. And so with regard to this growing business and the way that you've transformed from being on the website to now just solely being on your Instagram, how has your niche evolved as well? You talked about you started kind of with general intuitive eating and now you're more into runners. Is this where you started out or how did that evolve for you? Yeah. So ever since starting Libby's program, I knew I, I've been consistently working with, with runners. 
But I also try to tie in the intuitive eating because I am an, a certified intuitive eating counselor. That's something that I did last fall while I was applying for jobs. I, you know, I thought, hey, I need to get more education. <laughs> so did that, and let me tell you, it, it was a wonderful experience. I loved doing that training, but it, it's not something that's really necessary for what I'm doing. But yeah, so I, I try to work with runners and try to tie in intuitive eating at the same time. So right now I'm working with runners of all levels to try to help them to get stop overeating, especially like nighttime overeating, which really most of the time is stemming from undereating and restriction and dieting behaviors. So getting them to properly fuel themselves to hit their running goals, it's definitely evolved. It's been with runners this whole time, but focusing on what their biggest problem is, is what has evolved for me. Yeah. So I, let's see, I feel like sometimes I've given my followers whiplash because (laughs) (laughs) I, uh, I started with the problem of infertility among runners, hypothalamic amenorrhea. And it's not something I really felt I could identify with too much because I have never had any issues getting pregnant. So from there, I switched more to binging and then kind of transitioned into just focusing on underfueling from there, which I have been focusing on for the last couple months. And I feel like with that, my, my focus has been more on educating runners for their performance goals, you know, how to eat before, during, after runs, what to do on rest days, hydration, gut issues, that kind of thing, which I really enjoy. I love doing, but I I felt like I haven't really gotten to address the relationship with food and intuitive eating part as much as I am hoping to. So just recently I started to transition kind of more from underfueling more to the overeating aspect, which again stems most of the time from underfueling because I really want to try to focus on a runner's relationship with food. Yeah, absolutely. So what helped you to get that clarity? You know, you said you bounced around a little bit, but now it sounds like, you know, you're on one path. What helped you to ultimately get to the place of deciding on that one biggest problem? So I have done a lot of uh, market research. I'm I'm tied in with a lot of running groups on Facebook, and that's where primarily I try to do most of my research. And for the last couple of months, I would say a lot of the people that have come to me have been people wanting weight loss, which is not something that I coach for as an anti-dietitian. It's not something that I really morally agree with and just don't want to focus on. But it's just this problem that I keep seeing in my Facebook groups popping up over and over. So thinking about that, well, I'm, I started thinking about, well, what, you know, what's the root cause of this? Why are they wanting that weight loss? What's really going on here? And what it really boils down to is they just need someone to help them with their relationship with food so they can get back to trusting their body and listening to their body and so that their body can settle back into you know, the weight that it's meant to be at. So that's kind of how I arrived at the whole focusing on the overeating aspect of things, not wanting to directly counsel for weight loss, but still kind of address those issues because it is a big issue among runners. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I love that, you know, market research is so important and it can be overwhelming at times because we'll see all of the problems, but as long as we focus on, okay, they're saying this repeatedly, why is that? And what can I do to help with that? The thought process around this problem that they they have. Absolutely. So I think that's incredibly helpful. And so, okay, going back to how you said, you know, now you're solely on Instagram and, you know, no more spreading yourself too thin. Can you walk us through your experience with using Instagram to grow your business? Yeah. So it has been a um, whole new world for me. As you mentioned in my bio, this is my second career. I was a military officer before this in a you know, past life. And the military, social media, use of that is almost discouraged. So it's not something that I that comes naturally to me. It's not something I had a lot of experience with. I didn't even have an Instagram account until I started this whole private practice thing. Not even a personal account. I've kind of always been anti, anti-Twitter, <laughs> anti-Instagram. I'm not getting this. I'm not getting that. You know, you're lucky I have a Facebook <laughs> So it has been a very steep learning curve and a whole new world. And it's not something I was incredibly comfortable with doing myself. So I I knew that in order for me to do this successfully, I had to invest in myself and I had to get help because otherwise I would still just be floundering along. No idea what I'm doing. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. And so... With regard to you kind of starting from scratch and learning Instagram, how it works, but also learning how to grow a business from it, what did your Instagram feed first look like compared to what it looks like now? So when I started it, I did start it as a business feeder with the intent to keep it as a business feed, but I didn't really know how to create posts that were simple, but still solved a problem. You know, I'm as a dietitian, I think many of us can relate that we're just full of information. And I just wanted to share, share, share. I just wanted to share all that information with my few followers that I did have. And I don't think anything I was sharing was necessarily helpful to them Mm -hmm. or solving anything. So yeah, when I started out, it was just, I was just posting random quotes. I had absolutely no call to action. No one knew that I was open to taking clients or what my intentions were. And I wasn't solving any real problem, wasn't really providing any real value. (laughs) And uh, didn't use my stories. I didn't really even know what they were. Random hashtags. And I think I I pretty much chose really big hashtags because I thought that was the way to, to do it. So I was using like runner and running. (laughs) You know, those big hashtags that have millions and millions of of posts to them. So, yeah. Yeah. So what, since, you know, starting and it sounds like you've got a, a lot of clarity from posting and trying new things and learning, what is your process for creating content now? What helps you to guide the message that you're portraying on your feed? So now I feel like my posts are pretty specific and captivating and they're focusing on an issue that I know that runners have. And so I get a lot of inspiration from Facebook groups. I pay attention to what people are asking in those groups when it comes to nutrition related concerns. And then I will address those topics on my feed. I also 
get inspiration from my followers. I often ask them, hey, what do you want to see more of? What issues are you struggling with? And I just use those. And then I just get a lot of random ideas still popping into my head too. And, you know, I make sure that I have a notepad with me at all times because I'll be lying in bed at night and I'll think of like some type of post I should do. And, you know, if I know if I don't write it down then and there, I'm going to forget it. And that post is never going to get created. So, so I have a running list of ideas as well. And then, yeah, as, since I am not, I don't have another job outside of the home, I'm able to kind of work on my Instagram content whenever it fits into my schedule. So sometimes I'll devote part of the morning to doing it. I don't really have a set time like other people do where I just focus on content. I kind of create it as the inspiration comes to me sometimes. Yeah, nice. And I I think that's really good advice, you know, to focus on the client, the words that they're using in that market research. So that's a great reflection, especially to see as your content has, has evolved. So we know it's important to build that no like and trust factor on Instagram so that the people that are watching you understand that you're a real person who's there to solve their problem. So what one to two tips do you have for the listeners about how to effectively build that no like and trust factor? So first of all, and I know this has been said a lot on this podcast, but you have to show your face, especially on stories. I feel like I get a lot more interaction on my stories than I do sometimes even on my posts. And that's where I get a lot of feedback and have some of my best conversations is is because of that. And then second, I would say, and this is something that I have struggled with, is don't be over-aggressive coming from a military background, I have learned over the years to be very direct and I am opinionated and I can be aggressive. And it's not always an effective tactic, especially if someone is not ready to change, throwing a whole bunch of information at them that they don't necessarily want to hear is not going to lead to them liking or trusting you. And it's definitely not going to lead to a sale. So I, as I said, I've struggled with this. I know I'm guilty of it and I try to catch myself, but you know, sometimes I'll catch myself in one of the Facebook groups responding to someone's question. They're asking about a diet or weight loss and, and I try to convince them why they shouldn't want that as their goal. But it's just, it's not helpful. You just have to learn to just plant the seed gently sometimes and just leave it at that. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great analogy. Planting the seed, then someone will (laughs) water it later and then it'll bloom into a beautiful client ready to take on your services. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Love that. So for someone who's listening and they're scared to show their face, but they know, you know, from how many dietitians have repeated it now saying, show your face, show your face. What advice would you give someone who's in that situation? It'll get easier. The more you do it, it will get easier. And just know that, I mean, we all have our insecurities when it comes to showing our face. And most of the time people aren't thinking anything, you know, they they don't notice the things that we notice. We are our harshest critics. I mean, just the other day I was having a a conversation with uh, another dietitian on Instagram. You know, she admitted she was feeling very self-conscious about how she speaks like a valley girl. And I was sharing with her, I was like, yeah, I've always had this this self-conscious opinion of my voice because I feel like I have a really high-pitched voice, especially in recordings, especially the ones I post to my stories. But 
like you, you just have to remember that people aren't really paying attention to that. They're listening to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just try not to be critical of yourself. You just, you be you. Yes, that's such great advice. And it's so true. We think that the imperfection is not good, but really that's what makes it authentic. And that's what really builds that no like, and trust. So absolutely just be you. So, okay. Bouncing back now to growing your business, what are your money goals for your business? Can you talk about, you know, what those goals look like for you short-term and long-term things like that? Yeah. So since I am getting ready to have a second kid, I have set my money goals at around $5,000. That's what I would like to make per month. I feel like that is a good, good amount for working part-time. And then my longer, my longer goals, of course, I'd love to make 10,000 a month or even more. I mean, the sky's the limit, right? So I do have some specific goals, money goals that I am still working towards and haven't reached yet, but I know I will because I'm a very determined person and this, this is my baby now and I don't accept failure very well. So I'm, (laughs) I I am working towards them. Absolutely. I love that. And it sounds like you have a good mindset about it all. It's not a failure. It's just a step in the right direction. Absolutely. So can you tell us a bit more about your money mindset and what that looks like for you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I come from a family that had a lot of financial struggles and money definitely created a very stressful dynamic between my parents, one that I was even able to pick up on from a relatively young age. So since I could, since, you know, since I could get a, I was old enough to get a job, I have, I've held, basically held some sort of job and supported myself in some sort of fashion. You know, I put myself, well, <laughs> I say I put myself through college, but military actually put me through college, <laughs> but I still, I was, I was independent of my, my family at that point and putting, basically putting myself through college through my own actions. And then as soon as I graduated college, I commissioned into the military and I was you know, earning my own salary from there. So once I got out of, off of active duty and went back to school for nutrition, you know, I still had, I was using the GI Bill at that point. So I still had stipend coming in. I was still bringing in some sort of income. Well, that all changed when after I graduated and had my first child, I became a stay-at-home mom. and. I've loved being a stay-at-home mom. I wouldn't trade it for anything those those couple of years that I got at home with my son. But I still can't shake that that feeling, like the the need to contribute financially to the family. I have a very independent mindset when it comes to money. And it's not that like my family needs the money from this private practice or anything, but I need that sense of independence is pretty much what it boils down to, the sense of independence that bringing in my own income provides. It's just just the way that I've, I've grown up to be. Yeah. Wow. Thank you. Yeah. For sharing your story with us. So with regard to this and this growing money mindset and making these goals for yourself and you know being diligent to work towards those goals and keep learning as you go, how do you approach sales and the mindset around making sales? How has that evolved for you since starting this process? I'm not going to lie. I, 
I started off this whole process very uncomfortable with the idea of asking for a sale, which I think many of us can relate to. Definitely. Uh, never had a sales type job, retail, but that's not really, you're not really selling something. <laughs> um, so I, I mean, when I started off, I even felt uncomfortable putting a call to action in my posts. For some reason, I just, I didn't want to ask for that sale. But then I started to realize, you know, how on earth are you supposed to get followers and potential clients? How are they supposed to know that you are willing to help them and can provide this service to them if you don't actually tell them that. So now, yeah, I've, I've definitely grown a lot in this area and I still have a lot of work to do, especially on discovery calls. But every discovery call that I do and every time I ask for that sale, I just, I get a little bit better and I get a little more comfortable with the process. And you now I've actually found that on some of my Instagram posts where I actually write something on there about how I can help them with my services. Like those posts actually tend to do a little bit better. And those are the ones that often get the website clicks and stuff like that. So I learned that I have to, I have to be willing to ask for that sale. Otherwise it's not going to come. Absolutely. Yeah. That's so important. And something that we often overlook, it's like, how are people going to know that you coach, if you don't tell them you coach. So absolutely, that was one of the very first things I did as well. And it's, it sounds so simple, but we forget, oh, link in bio to apply for coaching or DM me for coaching. It's so simple, but absolutely effective for sure. So reflecting back on you know your journey, what advice would you give a dietitian who is hearing this and is just starting out and they, they want to jump right in? My biggest piece of advice is don't wait. What are you waiting for? You can just keep making excuses for, like the excuses can, can, can go on forever. I mean, I, I make tons of them on why I couldn't start a practice. So don't think that you have to work for somebody else. If you are coming out of your internship or even in your internship, start then. I wish I would have. I mean, <laughs> I often imagine where, where my practice could be now if I would have started a year ago or even during my internship. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's great advice to just start now. Don't wait. Everyone can make an impact in private practice and it's inspiring once you get started. And like you've said many times in this, you don't need to have all your ducks in a row. You don't need to have the website and the Facebook group and the LLC and all of these things. It's like all you need is Instagram. And putting yourself out there with your ideal client, absolutely, that's that's great advice. And it's exciting to see, you know, how your niche has evolved and your marketing has evolved. So, tell us what's next for your business. Yeah. So, <laughs> as you said already, I'm I'm getting ready to pop next month. I'll I'll have another kid to deal with. So, my business, I'm still going to be focusing on it as much as I can. I will still be accepting clients. I would really love to get to the point where I'm doing group coaching programs. That is my kind of ultimate goal right now. But realistically, I know that's not going to happen at least for the next few months because of this, this baby that's about to come. But that is, that's more of my, my medium term goal. I would say right now, I'm just going to focus on continuing with the, the one-on-one coaching and clients and um, working towards those, those financial goals that I have and then once the uh, baby gets 
you know, a little bit older and I'm able to focus more on group coaching, hopefully sometime this winter. That's, that's where I see myself heading. Awesome. Awesome. Well, that's all really exciting. Thank you so much for sharing your story on the podcast today. Why don't you tell the listeners where they can find you? Yeah. So you can find me on Instagram at running.nutritionist. You can also find me on Facebook, facebook.com slash offroadnutrition. And then my website is www.off-roadnutrition.com. Any of those you can, you can find me at. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. If you identify as a female dietitian or student, apply to my coaching program. I'm accepting applications now. My clients go from zero to exceeding their sales goals. I save you time, energy, and I show you how to confidently become a dietitian boss. Thousands of your colleagues from around the world are doing it, and so can you. Apply on my website at LibbyRothschild.com and check the show notes if you want that link right away.